Lifestyle, the way in which we live our lives. It's something formed throughout a series of decisions, whether intentional or accidental. But if our lives are to reflect the lifestyle of Jesus, it should be built with care. And as we allow God himself to form what he will in us and through us and around us, our lives are soon collected in a beautiful compilation for God's glory and for our good. Welcome everybody to the weekend. Uh, Many of you are very aware that uh, this past week, the Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe versus Wade. And people are wondering, uh, what do you think? People ask me, what do I think? And the answer I wanna give is, what does God think? We know that God values every life, the life in the womb and the life outside of the womb. But in many ways, I think God grieves today He grieves over the millions and millions of lives that have been lost. He grieves over what he sees happening in our nation, the hatred, the vitriol, the unthinkable things that are now being said. I think God grieves that people increasingly hate his son and hate the scriptures. But I also believe that God grieves when we who call ourselves followers of Christ gloat in such a way that we become hateful and we become spiteful to those who disagree with us. Remember Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'll admit it is hard to forgive people who spit at you, who swear at you, who deface your buildings or call you names. But there's only one way that this world is going to turn around. And that is that when we who represent God and represent Christ respond in a way of love and a way of grace, it does not help to respond politically. It does not help to respond in anger and in hatred. We have to continue to speak up for the truth, to speak up for the born and the unborn, but also speak up for the hope and the grace that Christ can bring. If our nation has ever needed prayer, it is now. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we humble ourselves before you at all of our campuses and wherever this broadcast is being watched and listened to. And we ask you, Father, to have mercy on us. Have mercy on us who are your followers, Lord. For it is hard for us to experience and see what is being said and what is being done in our culture, not just in the past, but right now, this very day. Father, we want to be salt and light We want to make sure, oh God, that we don't become hateful and vengeful, that we don't somehow gloat in some kind of victory for lives are still being lost. And there are women, Lord, who are hurting with all of this going on. There is so much confusion. Please, Lord, help us to speak the truth in love and in love, oh God. Express your grace and the hope of mercy and forgiveness. We pray for an awakening in your church. We pray for an awakening in our country. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, these men and those few women who first followed Jesus 
experience the best years of their life as they walk this earth with our Lord and Savior. I mean, to hear his words, to watch him in action, healing people, raising people from the dead, to watch his power when he would speak to those who were demon-possessed and they would be delivered. What, a, what an experience. And then to see him after he's crucified, risen from the dead, it just could not get any better. And yet they could not comprehend Jesus' words when he said to them that they would be better off if he was absent from them than if he was walking right alongside with them. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life when you thought to yourself, boy, I wish I could have been alive when Jesus was here on this earth. I wish I could have seen him multiply, multiply the fish and the loaves. I wish I could have seen Jesus raise the dead. I wish I could have been invited on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and witnessed his transfiguration. I wish I could have been there on Easter morning when he walked out of the tomb in resurrection power. Boy, that would just pump up my faith, wouldn't it? And yet, Jesus says to you and to me that we are better off now than if we had been alive when he was walking the earth with his apostles. And that just raises a question, doesn't it? And that question is, how in the world can that possibly be? That we are better off now in our relationship with God than if Christ were walking right next to us, with us. Well, listen, I want to make you a, a promise uh, this weekend. It's not a promise from me. It's really a promise from God. And I put it this way. You can have, you can have a closer walk with Jesus than his disciples did when they lived life with him on this earth. Now, I want you to close your eyes for a moment wherever you are, one of our campuses, or if you're watching us somewhere around the world, just for a moment, close your eyes, and I want you to imagine a closer walk with God. Can you do that? I'm just going to be quiet for a few seconds. Just imagine that. I know that wasn't very long for you to imagine, but you know that most Christians cannot imagine that? And that's because so many of us kind of have this mindset that Jesus has gone to heaven, we've been left here, and it's up to us to mimic his lifestyle, to try and become like him. But as we have started this last season in our study of the Gospel of John, we're learning that we cannot, on our own, by our own self, mimic the Jesus lifestyle. It requires Jesus living in it, are living in us and through us, which raises the question, what does that mean? How does that happen? And that takes us to our text today, John chapter 16. Let's start reading together, verse 5. Jesus said, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. 
If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Now, I want to encourage you after the message is over to go back and reread that passage slowly, prayerfully, and carefully after we've exposed it and kind of taken a deep look at it so that it really becomes part of who you are. Notice what Jesus is saying is this, that his absence from being beside us is going to usher in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to indwell us. So in essence, what Jesus is saying, it's better that I'm absent so I can be more present. Let me diagram it so you get a visual picture of what Jesus is saying. Think about God and how God sent his son, Jesus, that J is for Jesus, to this earth to come alongside of you and me, all right? Or we think about it in terms of the New Testament, we think about it alongside of the apostles and those that Jesus saw and did life with when he was physically here on the earth. But Jesus is saying, it's better for me that I go back to the Father, and it's way better for you because the Father is going to send his Spirit. And the Bible makes it clear that the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. That's a mystery. But here's the point, to indwell you. So what Jesus is saying to them and saying to us is, it's better that I indwell you rather than just walk beside you. I had to come and I had to show myself to you, reveal myself to you, I had to die on the cross for you in order that God may come and actually have fellowship within you. Now, if you're new to the faith, sometimes when you hear me speak, it sounds a little confusing. Are we talking about three gods here or one God? We're talking about one God, but we're talking about three distinct personalities, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that is a mystery. And the Spirit of God has come to indwell you and me. And where the Spirit is, Christ is, because Christ is the Spirit. And the question is, is that really possible? Is that really true? Well, look what the Scriptures say. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. And that prompts us to call out Abba, which is the Hebrew for Daddy, Abba, Father, because of 
what Christ has done for us, we can have such an intimate relationship with God. Prior in the Old Testament, you couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could, and only once a year, and it was dangerous. Now we have access right into God's presence. Paul writes in Romans, he says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he would give life to mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So I think it's abundantly clear from the Scriptures that as his followers, his presence has come to indwell you and me. So just for a moment again, close your eyes and imagine Christ is not beside you. He is in you. What does that mean to you? Can you imagine that? You say, well, I mean, does that really make a difference? Well, I want to challenge you later today to read Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, maybe some more chapters, but at least those first three chapters. And look what happens to the men and women who first followed Jesus. There is a marked difference in their lives pre-Pentecost. Pentecost refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit. You read it there in Acts chapter 2. And post-Pentecost. That is, before the Holy Spirit came and after the Spirit came. I mean, I, it's such a drastic change in their lives. Look at the apostles. Look at the early Christians how their words were like the words of Christ in authority, in power. Now look at the miracles. Look at the lives that were changed. And you know, the book of Acts has never ended. The Holy Spirit is still acting today. And yet the truth is, I look around at my life, I look around at the lives of many Christians in the church today, and I just feel like we're, we're trying to mimic God's power. I feel like we still live with this mindset that Jesus is up there, I'm here by myself, and because in many instances we are compromised in our morality, we're compromised in our spirituality, we're not seeing this movement of God that God wants to do if we would just come alive to his presence living in us and through us. Tim Keller wrote something that I thought was rather profound. Here's what he said. He says, we don't have an excuse to live at our current level of living. Let's read it again. We don't have an excuse to live at our current level of living. In other words, what he's saying is, look, if the Holy Spirit indwells us, there's no excuse for the way we oftentimes live. We ought to live every day gripped and overcome by the power and presence of God's Spirit. Instead, we are we allow ourselves to be gripped and overcome by our circumstances, by politics, by the stuff that's going on in our world right now, and it just brings you down. It just brings you down. And I know that's the world we live in, and I know we can't hide from the world. We shouldn't hide from the world, but I need to go into the world. You and I need to go into the world with this sense that, that God is in me, that God is with me. 
The greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So the question then becomes, how do we come to know that in our lives? How do we get there? And I just want to draw out some principles from the text that we looked at and certainly from other passages in the Bible regarding the Holy Spirit's dwelling in our lives. Here's the first one. In order to know that presence in our life, I have to become a true follower of Jesus. Notice my emphasis on a true follower of Jesus. There are a lot of folks out there who call themselves Christians, but you know, it's one thing to say I'm a Christian. Jesus says, by their fruit you will know them. And so, do they stand for the truth? Do they live by and on the truth? Now, God ultimately is their judge, not you and me. But we do have to discern and we have to be careful. A true follower of Christ is one who believes in Jesus as the Son of God resurrected from the dead, who accepts that he has died for their sins, that, that we are all sinners, and receives his forgiveness through repentance, turning our lives over to him, and then surrendering our lives every day to him, submitting our lives to him. You know, our lives are like a house with many rooms. In fact, there was a devotional written many years ago that describes the, the life as all these different rooms and, and does the Lord have access to every room? Is every door open to him? Or are there some doors that we keep a lock and key on and we say, God, you can have this door, this door, this door, but I want to reserve this habit. I want to reserve this attitude. I want to reserve this behavior for myself. Every day, I have to let the Lord clean house. Every day, I have to give the keys over to him and let him be in control. Until you do that, you will not know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit living in you. Just recognize, like I've done twice already. Stop, imagine, remind yourself every single day that God indwells you and me. You know, Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit indwells you. And when people see you and me, they need to be able to see past us and see God resident in our lives. And boy, that takes time. It takes devotion. It takes surrender. It takes obedience and listening to the Holy Spirit. Next, Treat the Holy Spirit as your personal counselor. Treat the Holy Spirit as your personal therapist. You know, when I was uh, growing up, the idea of a Christian going to counseling was almost seen as kind of shameful. You know, people would talk about you if you said that you were seeing a counselor, like there's something really wrong with you. It's not quite a stigma anymore these days. But I tell you what, sometimes you'll get more sympathy by telling somebody you broke your arm than you will saying I struggle with mental illness and I'm seeing a therapist. But there's such a value in counselor. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for a couple of therapists who have helped me work through the pain of my past and continue on this journey in life as I check in with them once in a while. I have a book coming out this summer. Hopefully it's been delayed because of the lack of paper 
And uh, it, it just tells you my story, and it'll be very helpful, I, I trust, for you. And we're hoping it'll be out by the end of July. But my point is this. Just like a counselor, a therapist can be a blessing in your life as they listen to you, as they guide you and point you to what will heal and help your life. And of course, I'm thinking especially of Christian, true Christ-centered, Bible-believing therapists. The Holy Spirit wants to also play that role in our lives. He wants you and me to be able to go to him at any time and share our hurts, our worries, our fears, our hang-ups, our habits. He wants to give us comfort. He wants to give us hope. Do you see the Holy Spirit that way living in your life? Let's look at another one. And that is this. Understand the role of your divine counselor. Understand the role of your divine counselor. Now, the word that John uses here to describe our divine counselor is the word uh, parakletos. Para meaning to come alongside. Kitos means to, to move the truth into someone. So it's almost this idea of the Holy Spirit massaging the truth into our lives. We're to allow him to massage the truth into our lives. I'll tell you kind of a funny story, but it was painful. It happened to me a few years ago. We went to visit our kids who at that time were living in Vienna, Austria, and uh, I had a little bit of jet lag, and I was taking a shower that night. And uh, I stepped out of the tub. And, you know, I'm, I'm used to kind of the tubs we have here that are not that high. And uh, this tub was really high. And so the floor was a lot further down than I expected. So when I went out with my towel like this, my foot went way down, more than I expected, and there was like a tile floor, and I slid from there into third base. Unfortunately, when I slid, I fell onto my shoulder and wrenched it. Man, did it hurt. So I embarrassingly shared with the family what happened, and my daughter-in-law came out with this tube of cream. And she said, here, this will help you. So I had Marsha rub it into my neck and, and my shoulder area. I want to tell you something. This stuff was fantastic. I have never felt such heat. I mean, it makes tiger bomb feel like nothing. And it just penetrated, went into my joints and my muscles and loosened things up. I was so thankful for that. In fact, I keep a tube of it with me to this very day because I'm noticing as I get older, more, more aches and more pains. You say, why don't you tell us a story? Because, because you, I'm sure, have felt when you've rubbed liniment on your shoulder, your back, your muscles, you have felt it penetrate. You felt the heat of it. The Holy Spirit wants to take the truth of God and he wants to bring it into our lives. That, that truth that is hot, that is deep, he wants to bring it into us in order to affect change in your life and my life. Finally, the Holy Spirit seeks to reveal God's glory. Jesus talked about that. And this word glory actually is a word that can be translated as weight. So the Holy Spirit seeks to reveal God's weight in and through you and me. God's glory, God's weight. What does that mean? Well, look at this. The Holy Spirit takes what we know about and from God, okay, and makes it real to us and to the world around us. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He takes the weightiness of God, his glory, 
found in his truth, found in his actions, found in what he's declared, and he makes it real in our hearts, and he makes it real in our lives to you and to me. I was reading a bit, and I came across some information about a man named Jonathan Edwards. Perhaps you've heard of him. Uh, I know John Piper, who's a, uh, a pastor, writer, Tim Keller, and others, write a lot about Jonathan Edwards, who was alive in the 1700s. And, and Jonathan Edwards was very involved. He was, a, he was a, um, a person that God used greatly for what we call the first great awakening in the United States, in those 13 colonies. He was a, a profound thinker, uh, writer, and his sermons carried great weight and power. And one day, Jonathan Edwards looked out over his congregation and he realized that he had two kinds of people. He said he realized that he had those who were nominal Christians and he had those who were what he called were real Christians. And he thought to himself, what's the difference between a nominal Christian and a real Christian? And here is what he said. He said, real Christians know Christ and all the things of God as a spiritual reality. Real Christians know Christ and all the things of God as a vivid, living, spiritual reality. Now, I want you to think about that with me for a moment. Take, for instance, Edward says, heaven. If you and I really believe that heaven is a spiritual reality, even though there's so much trouble and chaos, confusion in the world, it should bring into our lives an immense joy because that's where we're going. It should bring into us a radical generosity because my treasure is laid up in heaven. It should bring into our lives a deep sense of hope and peace. Is heaven such a reality to you? Has the Holy Spirit, have you given the Holy Spirit the opportunity to make heaven a reality to you? Or how about, how about God as creator, Edward says? What does that do for you? If you really believe that God is the creator of all life, then you value life in the womb and you value life outside of the womb. You value life in nature. You're in awe of what you see and what you hear and what you watch because every day you wake up and there's this tremendous witness, the weight of God's glory in nature itself. Or when you read and hear and listen to God's word, it just moves you. You're at such a place of peace because God has given you values to live by, principles to live by, a compass to guide you by. See, the Holy Spirit, if we'll allow him, makes Christ and the things of God a spiritual reality to us. Now, here's the problem, Keller says. He says, the problem in life is that we have allowed unreal things to become real to us and the real things become unreal to us 
That's the world that you are raising your children and grandchildren in. It's the problem we're facing today. We believe that the unreal is real and look what it's doing to us. Look at, a me- look at the mess it's making in our lives. Look at the stress, the worry, the fear, and all that goes with it. And then we say that the real things, the word of God, Christ himself, is unreal. How's that working out for us as a nation? It's not working out at all, is it? When you displace God, when you displace his word, you only end up with chaos and pain and hurt. So we need to keep Christ center. See, well, how do I get to that place? How do I get to that place where God is more of a spiritual reality to me? Well, I want to go back to some things that Jesus said. Listen to what he said here in John chapter 16. And when he comes, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict, okay, very important word, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. So we've got conviction of sin, conviction of God's righteousness, conviction of coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now, I've read that verse those verses and studied them for years but recently again reading one of my favorite pastors theologians keller i gained some insight into that passage i not had before and the insight is this where you have conviction the conviction that's being spoken about there in john you also have attraction What Jesus means is the Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction in order to create attraction. In other words, he convicts of sin, which then attracts us to God's mercy and God's forgiveness. He convicts the world of unrighteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, which attracts us to Christ's righteousness And as the Bible teaches us, his righteousness that has come into us, I am now righteous before God, not because of my works, not because of my goodness, but because his goodness lives in me. I am the righteousness of Christ. He convicts of judgment, and that attracts me to the fact that Christ has been judged for me. And when judgment eventually comes to this world, And it will, a day of judgment. I will escape that judgment because Christ was judged for me. And it's not until we come to that reality in our lives that the reality of the Holy Spirit will take over our lives. So, in essence, what we really need, what we really need is a crisis. I'm not talking about a 9-11 crisis, a political crisis, an economic crisis. I'm talking about a spiritual crisis in our lives. A crisis whereby we realize who we are and more importantly, whose we are. 
whose we are, who we belong to, until I realize that I am one indwelt by the Spirit. And I belong to God. Until that takes me over, until that shakes me to the core, I'll never, I'll never truly experience that presence and that power that is resident in my life. This past week, Marsha, my wife, and I, and a few others from Whitdale had an opportunity to go visit Cuba. We're there on humanitarian purposes, but also to begin helping plant churches there. And I can only tell you that miraculously, God made an inroad for us a legal inroad for us. But as we spent time in Cuba, I just was amazed that here's a little country not very far from the U.S., but it's as poor as can be. The average wage in Cuba is $50 a month. Can you imagine that? They are short on food. They are short on medicine. There is poverty everywhere you look. If you want to buy bread, you have to go stand in this line. If you want to buy meat, you have to go stand in that line. It's just tragic. And yet, as I stood and spoke and trained 30-some pastors who want to see Christ brought to their little nation, I was overwhelmed by the joy that I saw in their eyes and on their faces. I wished I could have had you there with me when they sang. Oh my goodness, can they sing? Not just because they're musical, but the joy in their lives as they were singing. It reminded me of what I've experienced in many third world countries where Christians are persecuted, where there's such hardship. Why is there joy? Why is there happiness? Why is there hope? Do you know why? It's because they really don't have anything else. All they have is Jesus. And Jesus is more than enough. I think about you and me living in our world, in this country where we have so much, and it distracts us. We have so many things. We have so many places to be. We have so much on our agendas. We are so distracted in our society today. We are so obsessed and fearful and worried today. We forget who we have and whose we are. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for our nation is that the believers, the followers of Christ, would wake up to who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ, that we would withdraw from the hatred and the vitriol that controls our society, that we would rejoice when truth reigns, that we would grieve for those who have still yet to hear the truth that we would love them in the spirit and the power of Christ. That God would do mighty things once again. Because I tell you what, there are a whole lot of people in the world right now 
that are looking for hope, that are looking for hope, who don't like what they see happening, who don't like what they hear, but because the church is so compromised, they don't see an alternative. Whitdale, let us, by God's grace, be that alternative. Let us live filled with the Spirit of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask you in these days to help us reread this passage and take these thoughts captive in our minds and our hearts, to lay ourselves before you and to seek you to fill our lives afresh with your Spirit who indwells us. Lord, may we be less concerned about what we have in terms of material and worldly things, and may we be consumed by who we are and whose we are. May the joy of your presence, the spiritual reality of who you are, take over our lives. May we lay ourselves out before you, seeking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please don't miss next weekend for another message that will encourage you greatly.